to look at Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians chapter 3. I will say I wrote that somewhere. I think we are just under the 750 mark of chapters read. So we're still right now at that goal of 1,250 chapters to be read by the time we get done. I think we're going to meet it. I think we're going to meet it. So as soon as I start to see that we're going to meet 1,250, we'll bump that goal up and try to hit another one. And again, all of this to be washed by the water of the Word of God. Not that we may brag, but it's amazing to me that when you set a challenge before us, when it's specific, when it's achievable, we could go through the business classes and name all of the different ways that we're supposed to set goals. In that matter, when we set goals, even for ourselves as Christians, beloved, sometimes it really does help us. It's not that we make the goal the entire purpose of our lives, but that we may use them well and we may use them rightfully. And that sometimes people go astray. They set the wrong goals. And we set things that become as law. And how often we may find ourselves in a situation even as the Galatians did. Because it's not a negative marker that we're counting chapters. But if we're not careful, what we could do is we could make that one of the echelons. That if you're not reading, well, then you're not saved or sanctified. You're not one of his. If you're not joining in us, if you're not reading 100 chapters a week, you're just not one of the born again. If you're not reading so many chapters a week, well, you're just... Not even setting board again. And beloved, as crazy as it is, we find ourselves so easily in these tendencies that, that we make up the things that are supposed to be what we're following. And Paul has been writing to the churches of Galatia, ensuring that that would not happen. Paul has been reminding us the entire time. First of all, he's an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but that he's an apostle of God. And that we should be reminded that this gospel is not of man, neither by man, but that this gospel is of God. What Paul has been signifying to us from start even until where we are now is this whole thing belongs to God. Don't go messing it up. Don't go adding to it. Don't go taking away from it. And how much of a reminder each and every one of us need is here at Shed Road, we've been intentional over the last three years. We try to keep things simple. We try not to get fancy. We try not to do some of these things. Now, there's only a handful of us here, but Lord willing, if he continues to bless us, and if he were to bring more people in, hallelujah to him and glory to him, but we'll continue to see that things are kept simple because we want to be careful that we do not begin to add to the things of God nor take away from the things of God because, as Paul has been reminding us, this gospel doesn't belong to us. It belongs ultimately to God. Even our faith, even our lives do not ultimately belong to us, but they belong to God. And surely Paul has been showing us that in every step of the way. I'm not this up because it feels cold at the end. I don't want everybody freezing this morning. So in every step of the way, Paul has been reminding us. I said last week, it's like the snowball effect that he's slowly been building more and more into it. He was using the example of his life and his testimony. Then he goes into the example of how even Peter has gone astray on this, and now we find ourselves in chapter 3. And I've been asking, I've been talking to some among the church, and we've been talking about where do we separate it? Where do we draw? Where do we preach from? How do we preach this? I submit to you that really what I should like to be able to do is preach all of chapter 3 and chapter 4 in one sermon. That should be my desire to be able to do that. I'm not a talented enough preacher in order to be able to do that. So I've had to take it down and separated a little bit more. And Lord willing, we'll look at the first 12 verses this morning. And fair warning, it's really not the best stopping point because it's in the middle of a transition. But this morning, let us work because I, 
I submit to you that over the next few weeks, however long it takes us to get through chapters 3 and 4, Paul is essentially communicating one central idea. That in chapters 3 through 4, there's essentially one central idea. So if y'all hear for like four or five sermons in a row the same main idea, the same emphasis, y'all just get ready because that seems to be the way that Paul has put this book together. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, we start out with the bang. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify for even through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Let us go to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you once more for this passage. We pray that you would open it unto us, God, that you would open our hearts, open our ears and our eyes to be able to see the truths that are in this blessed word of God. Lord, that you would then take your spirit and confirm these things within us, seal these things within us, that they would bring forth fruit in due season. God, we pray for the one that has never been born again, that you would use this passage and bring them to you in a saving faith and a saving knowledge of who you are, that they would repent and trust in you alone, God. And Father, we pray that this morning every one of us would be glorifying you and spreading the truth this morning, God. We pray these things in thy son, Jesus Christ, in holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. If you were reading that with me, perhaps you saw the same thing that I did. There's kind of three transitions over here. He begins to talk about it. He said, is it by the spirit of the law? You kind of see that in verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 9, you see about Abraham and faith. And then verses 10 through 12, well, we just see the badness of the law, frankly. And even though the law is from God, we see the consequence of the law. But in that first section, Paul just lights into him. He says he's kind of been nice to him. He was, he was getting on to him in the first chapter, but he's kind of been nice to him ever since. And he was talking about how he had to be straightened out on some things and how he had to go straighten Peter out on some things. And now he is beginning chapter 3 toward the center of this book. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. Paul does not take it lightly when he says, oh, foolish Galatians. If your version is like mine, it's got oh, foolish in all caps right now. Right there, it is wanting us to see the emphatic nature 
of this verse that Paul is gripping their attention and saying, don't you realize you're nothing but fools in doing this? What Paul essentially is doing is he is making them begin to question a fool is one that does not know God. A fool is one that saith in his heart that God is not real. We know these things about fools. So perhaps Paul knows that when he administers that word, oh, foolish Galatians, so much to the fact that what Paul may be inclining them to listen to is, oh, foolish Galatians is, that's almost as if to say, do you even believe God? Do you believe what he has testified before you? Do you believe the testimony that he has of you? Are you actually born again? Because a fool ultimately is somebody that is not born again. Somebody that has not been truly saved. Oh, foolish Galatians. I don't think he's telling them that none of them are saved. But Paul is setting it up for them to see the problem with this letter even gets down to salvation. This boils down to the reality. Are you saved or not? Are you born again or are you not? Are you merely walking in a tradition or are you simply walking in faith in Christ Jesus? Which one are you walking in? Oh, foolish Galatians. Who hath bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth. Who hath bewitched you? I like when I looked up that word, bewitched. It only occurs one time in all of the Bible, and it's this word right here in Galatians chapter 3. That doesn't help me out. I usually like it when these words are mentioned several other times in several other places because then I can go look, because the Bible is backing up Bible, I can look at what those words mean. But in its time, in the Greek language, when it was being used, that word bewitched is another way to say fascinate. One of my favorite movies, y'all don't get on to me, okay? I married a wonderful lady who loves a good Disney movie, so every now and then we'll watch a Disney movie together. And all I can think of when I see this movie, Bewitched, is that movie Moana. If you, any of you ever happen to see it, there's this big scene in there with this shiny crab over there, and that's, he sings a whole song and all of this and that and the other, but he's shiny. That's the whole thing about it. He's able to trick you on the basis of who you are because of his shininess, and he's able to bring you into himself, and he's able to trick you, and that's what this word bewitched means is. It means to fascinate you with something that is shiny. How true that that is. I was talking with somebody. We were talking about means to pay this off and pay that off, and he was talking about uh, he doesn't want to put any extra on the house, and I'm like, well, I just use it. I buy something shiny with it. I know me, I probably buy something rusty with it. But that would be my version of shiny with it is if I just had a pile of cash laying around too long, I'm probably going to go buy something shiny or rusty with it so that we can play around with it. That's my problem is I will I will use, I will misuse monetary funds when I know that if I will stay disciplined and we will stay on a course of action and we tell money what to do, I know that it will be spent well. But if we don't, I know that we'll spend it wrong. I know that if I see something shiny, I might be brought away. I know that if I see something better, I might bring it away. I thought about it this morning. Uh, she was playing on the piano, and she, she I don't know what she did to it, but she just changed the song, and she was playing a certain song that I've heard sung a certain way all of my life, and all of a sudden she jazzed it up, and she was playing it a different way, and it sounded like a whole new song, but it was really cool to hear, and I was just enamored by that, and I thought about how quickly something shiny, something new like that leads us astray, and that's exactly what happened in the life of the Galatians, is something shiny happened. In the city of Bremen, something terrible happened. In the city of Bremen, there's a new church plant. Every few years, I'm not saying the one right now, but every few years in the city of Bremen, there's a new church plant. And what happens is, there's about 100 people that move from one church or a few churches to this new church plant. And then about five, 10 years down the road, guess what's gonna happen again? A new church plant's gonna come in. And those same, about 100 people, are gonna wind up going to this new one. I say in Bremen because I've lived it all my life. I've seen it to where, this was the end church, and that's where the hundred or so people or more people began to go, was to that end church. 
and it will happen for a while, and then the end church will change. Now, I, I don't want to make a lot of it. I'm thankful for every church plant there is. I'm welcome to more church plants, more people faithfully reaching for Christ. But I notice a tendency in believers in this area because it's a tendency of all of us. When something else is shinier, when something else is newer, that's when we begin to go and pursue. And it's real easy for us to do that. Is that when he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? I want us to understand that that can so easily be any one of us. That something shiny, something new can get a hold of our attention so much. Well, so and so, it looks better over there. And how much we do on the basis of what it looks like. And if you remind yourself of the context of what the Galatians were dealing with, that's exactly what it was. Sometimes I admire the Catholic Church for all of the buildings that they have, these great Gothic-looking buildings. I think they're really cool. I admire all of these things. I've got a wedding that I've got to perform in December, and uh, they're wanting me in a tux. I'm thinking about asking if they'll put me in a clergy robe just because that seems cool to me, and I think a clergy robe would really fit the wedding, so we'll see if that happens over there. But all of these different things I do, I see these shiny things, and I, I look at them, and I'm like, that's a cool thing over there. But, beloved, it's not the shiny which saves but sometimes the shiny misleads us. And let us be careful what we do. I think about some of these other churches, some of the practices that they do. They seem very good, but they can so easily mislead people astray. It's interesting to know that we're in this passage of Galatians chapter 3 because Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, this was one of the essential passages that he latched onto. Galatians is one of the essential books that he latched onto because I don't know if y'all picked up on the message or not, but it's by faith alone. I don't know if y'all picked up on the purpose of this book yet, but it's by faith alone. And yet the problem that we have is we want to add stuff. Peter was trying to add stuff. Paul had been trying to add stuff. But it was in the simplicity that is in faith alone. But, beloved, the problem with that is that's dull. That's boring. You mean to tell me it's just by faith alone that's dull? That's boring. I get tired of that after a while. Do you mean to tell me we're going to come in, and even though we've got two hymn books, there's probably only about 200 of these songs we would ever sing in our lifetime, we're going to sing the same 200 songs, and we're going to preach from that same book the rest of our lives? Absolutely. Do you know what I'm worried about every single, every single month, every single Sunday, just about? I'm worried I'm going to run out and start to preach. I have been for nearly, I know, sister, and she's sitting back there shaking her head at me, and I know I'm never going to run out and start to preach. Can I tell you I have that pit in my stomach every single week is that I'm going to run out? And that I'm not good enough. And that I need to be doing something shinier. Beloved, there's things I need to do better. And I welcome those opportunities. I don't dismiss those. But the thing about it is, is I just got to come in every week and that's been boring. That's the weird reality of it is. Is that all we've got to do is come in here every single week. And be what the rest of the world looks at as boring. Because the reality of it is, is the greater we grasp the simplicity of the gospel the less drawn astray by something shiny we have because the more satisfied we are. I like things in black in case y'all haven't noticed that. I drive a black truck. If you ever look at my phone, it's got a black phone. It's a black case. I like things dark. I like things so. But beloved, I also have that tendency to want that flare. I used to buy a flashy tie. Me and Todd both used to be bad about some flashy ties. We both wanted We wanted to shine. But as I'm getting older, I want more simplicity. I want more simplicity. I want more simple. Not because of anything the world has to offer, but because I realize the simplicity of the gospel. I want less because the gospel wants less from me. The gospel wants all of me, but it doesn't want something fancy and it doesn't want something shiny. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That's a powerful statement. I've listened to this 
so many times this week, and I love the version of it that I get to listen to. Uh, I listen to it a couple of different ways, but on my Bible app that I have on my phone, it's dramatized, so it's real funny. It says, oh, foolish Galatians. And that's what I, I start out reading it with him every single time. But do you know what the problem is? I say, oh, foolish say. And if I'm not careful, it would become, oh, foolish Shiva. Oh, foolish West Georgia. Oh, foolish Georgia. Whatever the case that you want to say is, how tempting it is to be led aside by something that is shiny and flashy because this is the reality of it. He says that ye should not obey the truth. That's the temptation that we have is that we should not obey the truth. Is the truth is always set before us. In the Garden of Eden, that's what was sent before Adam and Eve over there was whether they were going to listen to the serpent or they were going to listen to the truth. They didn't have to question what the truth was. The truth was known, and yet they would not obey the truth. And yet in my life, do you know the same problem I've had is that I would not obey the truth? Do you know what every problem every unbeliever has had in their life is they will not obey the truth? There's something about it is there is a lack of obedience. One of my dear friends, I love the story he tells. He tells the story that when he got, when he was real young, he was saved. And he wanted to go be baptized. But the church actually, in some wisdom, said, look, we just, hold off a second. We just want to check in on this. And he said something happened, and he just never would go get baptized. But he said by the time he became about 17 years of age, that finally the preacher was preaching, and all of a sudden he realized he'd never been baptized. He realized there was a step of obedience to the word of God that he had never taken and that he needed to take that step in his life. And that was a glorious day for him. And he still talks about it to this day. It's been many years later, but he talks about how he knew that he had to obey the word of God. Beloved, when we sit with Christ long enough, there is something about us that we know we need to obey the word of God. We've been led astray by things that are shiny, whether we recognize it or not. And sometimes we need to bring ourselves back into conformity with the will and the way of God. And we just need to obey the truth again. It's real dull. It's real boring. Just obey the truth of the Word of God. And it will all be okay. It will all be real simple. The problem is, is that's the hardest challenge that we face in all of our lives, is whether we're going to obey the truth. It sets you apart in terms of your salvation and whether or not you obey the truth. It sets you apart in terms of your sanctification and whether or not you will obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. If anybody should recognize that it is in faith alone by Christ alone to the glory of God alone and all the other soul laws that we might talk about. But here it is that he is saying Christ has evidently been set before you. It's not as if sometimes we're taught a little bit about Christ and we need to know the rest of him. No, he is saying Christ has been evidently set forth before you and even crucified among you. Was he just talking about the example of the crucifixion? Or was it that some of these Galatians probably saw the crucifixion of Christ? And I submit to you that it's probably the reality that there were some in these churches of Galatia that had actually seen Christ crucified. And he's asking them, he said, you've known these things, you've seen these things, and yet what has led you astray? And do you know that that's the story, again, for every one of mine in your lives? Is we know the truth of the Word of God so many times. And yet we get so easily bewitched. I was on a good line. I was, I was behaving. I was playing off steering off pretty quickly. And then that black, shiny truck out there caught my attention out there. And I went and bought that black, shiny truck. That's paid off now. But man, was it shiny at the time. I was on a good course. That had, before me and this chair got married, we could have had a student home stayed the course. But then I got done when I saw something shine. I went out and got it. And I just stayed the course. 
Now, I say that all in terms just because these are real life examples that have happened for me. The way that you manage your money is the way that you manage your money. I'm not trying to get in on you. Just be a good steward of it. That's all I'm ever asking you because that's what the Bible teaches me to teach y'all is that we be good stewards of our money. But, beloved, it is a real example in my life that I'm on a good course and I'm obeying the truth. But then something flashy comes in and I want to disobey it. I'll never forget hearing this one story. And I, I don't know why all these stories just keep coming to mind this morning, though. There was a preacher that had come into a certain congregation, a faithful, good congregation. And it was that he come into the congregation, and that day he must have preached a service. He said, you were saved, but when was the day of your consecration? You know the day of your salvation, but when was the day of your consecration? When you were saved, but then you were consecrated a different day. And, beloved, it sounded nice, and it sounded flashy, and it sounded good, and that was the problem. It was flashy, and it sounded too good to be true. Because, beloved, if you have been saved, you are actively in the process of what we call sanctification. I'm not looking for a day that you get saved and a day that you get consecrated. For the day that you were saved is also the day that you are consecrated. The problem with the churches in Galatia is they wanted more. They got bored of the simplicity of the faith and they needed something more. They needed something more than Christ. And yet Paul is bringing them and he said, This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith. He says in verse 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Is the Spirit going to do its perfecting work in your life? Or is it something you're going to have to do on your own? When you've been born again and you've been brought in, is it something you're going to have to pay penitence? You're going to have to tithe? You're going to have to offer so much? You're going to have to do so many good deeds? You're going to have to say so many Hail Marys? You're going to have to say so many of these other things? Is it something that you're going to have to do? Or is it the work of the Spirit in your life? Beloved, this is a freeing thing. But what we do is shackle ourselves back to the world. Is we want that I have to do it this many ways. I've got a dear friend from college that he talks about how weird he was when he was young. He said he got saved at an early age and he thought he had to go pray out on these rocks and he'd hurt his knees just praying on these rocks. He thought that he had to be in pain in order to, he thought that he had to go through all of these steps and he talked about, even his dad was like, yeah, that was weird, but we kind of let you do it just to figure it out on your own. We couldn't do it for you. I love the example of his father and that. He said, yeah, we had to just let you figure it out on your own. Because do you know what I've had to figure out so many things? Mom and dad tried to raise me and they did well. There's a lot of things I just had to figure out on my own. You know the crazy thing is, mom and dad would tell me something sometimes, and I'd be like, nah. And then it turns out they were exactly right. It still happens to this day more than I would ever care to admit. But all of these truths, Paul is asking them, is it up to you or is it up to the Spirit? Beloved, the freeing thing, the freeing reality of this verse right here is the fact that your salvation, your sanctification, it's not up to you. It's not on the basis of of what you have to do or what you don't have to do. Ultimately, your salvation and your sanctification is because of what the Spirit is doing in your life. You don't have to sit down and write ten principles to live your life by. But it might be wise to sit down and write ten principles by. But if you make them your means of salvation, that's when you've entered into it wrong. Jonathan Edwards had his resolutions, and I can't remember how many of them there were. But if ever he had depended on them for salvation, then he was being misled things of the world, there might be some right things for you to do. It might be right for us to be reading so many times in the book of Galatians, but don't let that be what saves you because it does not save you. If you think that showing up here week by week is going to save you, it has never saved anyone, it will never save anyone. Beloved, we are not made perfect by the flesh. He says in verse 4, have you suffered so many things if it be yet in vain? Paul gets a little bit snarky here now. He's the only man that I know how to say it. Paul 
only. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain. He's bringing them to realize the audaciousness of their life. He's bringing them to realize the foolishness of their life. Sometimes that's exactly what happens is that courts would often have a jester in order to mock the king and he was usually the only one that could mock the king and get away with mocking the king. He was brought in as a comedic relief. He was brought in to see something that the king may be doing wrong. But the problem is that we get, as we go toward a more and more autocratic society and as we go from more, more toward more and more of a strong leadership model is whoever's in the chief office, if you make fun of him, he's going to shut you down as quickly as he can. I promise you, go on Facebook and start making fun of the owner of Facebook. You'll probably find yourself shadow mad or something like that. Same way with Twitter. All of these different things, beloved. When you begin to go against them and make an open mockery against them, something is going to change in your life. But sometimes we need that in our lives to show us the fallacies of our lives. Sometimes we need somebody to make a joke in order for us to realize. Sometimes somebody needs to show us the craziness of it that we depend on these things for salvation, and yet it's in Christ alone that we have to depend on. We add to things of Christ, and we make things more complicated. He says in verse 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, worketh he worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the To love the question that is began to be answered in verses 1 through 5 of, is it the Spirit or is it the works of the law? You're saved by Christ, but as much as my section over here, it says justification by faith, I'm also telling you that it should be named sanctification by faith. Is that what Paul is getting you to realize is you're justified by Christ alone. Your right standing with him is on the basis of him alone. But not only is it your salvation, it is your sanctification. That you don't have to do more for your sanctification. Each and every single week, we rest in the assurances of Christ. We need to be reminded. We need to be reassured every single week that we come in here. We're trying to be mindful of that, at least more here recently, of singing a song of assurance or of singing a hymn of assurance, of singing something that notes of assurance in our lives is something that we need to be reminded of is that we have the assurance of our salvation. I love singing that song this morning. I know my name is there. It's one of my favorite songs. I know some other in this commitment this morning. It's one of their favorite songs. I love to be able to sing out in that chorus. I know, I know my name is there. What a blessing that it is. It's not on the basis of what I do for him, but I know that my name is there. Love it if it was on the basis of our good works. How many times I would have fallen away. He should have already taken me out of this world. If I could lose my salvation, I already would have. But do you know what I love is? I don't care how many times you've sinned this past week. Come to church anyway. I don't care how bad of a sinner you've become. Come to church anyway. Come to be among his people again. The reality is, every time that I've ever sinned, do you know what I've had to do to him? I've had to go to him in faith and trusting him. Lord, forgive me again. Because do you know what he's done is, he is my salvation, but he is also my sanctification, and that he continues to draw me. That it is a faith. Somebody put it this way and said, people that are unbelievers can call him father. But check them when they get in a tight spot. They might say, oh, God. But when you get in a tight spot and you find yourself with your back against the wall, do you say, oh, God, or do you say, oh, Father? I submit to you, that's a powerful claim right there. It's something I've never thought about until this past week or so. When you refer to him in a tight spot, do you refer to him as, oh, God, or oh, Father? The sweetest assurances I ever have is that he is my Father. Not just that he is God, but that he is my Father. 
Do you know what? That any mistake I ever made, I could go to my father. It was never a bad one. Might be some anger, might be some upsetness. But it was never that I had the fear my father was going to turn me away. Now, I'm blessed with a good earthly father. I'm aware some people have not had that in their lives. I'm aware some people have had fathers in their lives that were not that. But my heavenly father is one who might just be like Paul to say, oh, foolish Galatians. It's been amazing to me to hear the tone of this book, how fatherly Paul is to the Galatians. Say, oh, foolish Galatians. Sometimes my parents would take a tone with me that sounded like, oh, foolish Zach, why are you doing it that way? I don't know if they ever said those words. But it was almost like they took that tone. Oh, foolish Zach. How many times, as much as my grandfather frustrates me, how many times there's been able to, he just takes a tone of voice, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I really was a foolish Zach. I really was a foolish Zach. How many times it is that we need somebody to speak to us but not only does he do that and he directly addresses them, as Paul has been doing, he continues with the example of Abraham. He says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are in faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You and I could never have called ourselves the children of Abraham. We could have followed every element of the law to a giant tittle as much as we could, and yet we were not of the house of of Abraham. We didn't belong to him. There was no way we were cut off. And yet what he is saying here is that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. So that's the difference of if you are of the children of the faith. In verse 8 it says and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying in thee all nations shall be blessed. He didn't say just the nation of Israel. He said in thee all nations shall be blessed. For you and for me, we ought to rejoice in that this morning. It says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You and I ought to rejoice because we were once cut off. You and I were once not numbered among the household of Abraham. And yet through him, all nations shall be blessed. Now he'll launch into this and he'll spend the rest of this chapter communicating why these things are true. But let us look in verses 10 through 12 about the reality of the law. It says, for as, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you find the reality that you, you just look to the law and you read the law, there's no way you're going to be able to keep all of it. Especially if you were trying in 2023, they got a bad, they got a bad problem in the Jewish faith. They don't even know who the high priest is. The records have been scattered. They don't know who the high priest is. They don't know on the day of atonement. They still go through Yom Kippur. They still have these different things. But the problem is the entire structure of it has been broken down. They don't know whose house you belong to anymore because in about 73 AD there was a massive fire and it burned up most of the records. They don't even have the records. There's all of these problems that, beloved, if you were to try to attach yourself to these things, you could no longer do it. If you were trying to save yourself according to the law, there's nothing that you could do in order to save yourself. If you look at the law, just go and read it. Do you know what I find? Is that it's just a curse to me. It's not a blessing to me. It's a curse to me. Because I find that I can't obey it all. Do you know what the Jews ultimately found out? Is that they couldn't obey it all. Do you know what every day of atonement was looking forward to? Was that day of Christ. And never forget, Brother Bud's still there. He's, he's bigger than me. 
his big old self. He's a shorter guy and he's a bigger guy. And he was just talking about how it rolled together. And I've never forgotten just his body language that he was using. He said every day it was just rolling to the next one. Every bit of sin was just rolling under Christ. That the bull, lambs and bullocks and goats and all of these other things, none of them can ultimately atone for sin, but that it had to be Christ that ultimately atoned for sin. You can say every means of repentance that you can, but at the end of the day, the only form of repentance that you have is to come to Christ and trust in him alone. Martin Luther apparently was out in a bad storm. I told you that the book of Galatians is largely, it's probably his favorite book, that Romans, and why he began to lead in the Protestant Reformation in the way that he did, though there were many others. He saw that it was only through faith alone because he had a statement that he said, if anybody could be saved by their monkery, it was I. He said, if any monk could have been saved by their monkery, it was I. And he goes to the man that he would confess to ultimately got tired of him coming to him. And he said, Dear Martin Luther, if you're going to come to me and ask for absolution of sin, please come to me. was basically what he said. He said, Stop coming to me for every little single thing. Do you know what I have to do a million times a day? I have to pray, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for not bringing my thoughts into line. Sounds like a million times a day that I'm having to pray to you. But do you know what that I have found? I don't have a confessor that tells me, don't come back to me unless you have your I have a father that invites me to him time and time again. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, but no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for that the, for the just shall live by faith. If you'll remember, the just shall live by faith. That was in the book of Habakkuk. We just come out of that book. That was in chapter 2 of the book of Habakkuk. If there's any book that communicates that Habakkuk's crying out to God, not understanding, God, why are you doing the, these things the way that you are doing them? Beloved, Habakkuk sets the context for this well. That it is by faith alone. should not justify by the works of the law, but the just shall live by faith. The message that God was communicating to Habakkuk was, is that Habakkuk, you're going to have to live by faith. The message that God is still communicating to us this day is, you're going to have to live by faith. Verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. If you're depending on yourself, if you're depending on the law, you'll never make it. The only way that you have is that old hymn that we sing so often, is trust in the there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Beloved, I know this section probably says justification by faith in as a headache. It does in mine. But let's admit to you that I figured out last week in the passage we read, it was justification by faith alone. But I give to you this greater hope that your salvation is also and your sanctification is also by grace alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. However we want to see it. But beloved, when you wake up tomorrow, do you know what you're going to have to live by? You're going to have to live by faith. There's so many things that I want to convince the world of. There's so many people that, yeah, I just notice it because we're in a certain month to where so much of our culture is celebrating certain things. I'm not mad at that culture. I'm not mad at them. I'm, I'm sad at the reality of sin. Let's never hide that. I'm sad at the reality of sin. But beloved, they're doing exactly what I would expect them to do. Beloved, I can't convince them of the truth of any of this. 
when we go out and about into our communities, we can't convince anybody of these truths. What we have to rely on is this by faith alone. I'm not going to be able to answer every question that you have in the Bible. I'm just going to have to tell you I depend on God, that I trust in God. I'm going to have to depend on God. You're going to have to have it by faith alone. The challenge that you have as an unbeliever is whether or not you're going to trust in God alone. But the challenge that we have as believers is are we going to trust in God alone? And beloved, we as a church, what we've got to model for others is, is that we trust in God alone. You don't trust in me. I don't trust in y'all ultimately. But we trust in God alone. And we've got to be faithful about teaching that others. I love what he says in the Great in the Great Commission, as we often call it, that we leave with as a charge every single week. Is teach them to do all things I've commanded you. Love you. We'll spend a lifetime in salvation. We'll spend a lifetime of trying to be sanctified. And then ultimately, we're only sanctified by grace, by faith alone. It's by grace alone, but it's also by faith Let us rest in that blessed hope this morning. Father, we come to you in prayer this morning just again bring ourselves before you. God, so many things that are shining that we wish us to lead us astray, that we latch on to, that we depend on. God, we know that ultimately it's in the crazy, simple truth that we just have to Father, we even know that faith is a gift of you that comes from above, oh God, Father. So we just thank you that you give us the gift of faith, that you would give us the ability to even so much as believe, oh God, Father. We just come before you, confessing our sins before you, God, knowing that we're not worthy to be yours, oh God, but that, Father, we just trust in you again. God, we don't know what's next. Even as we have conference here in a few minutes, Lord, we don't know what's next. But God, we just trust in you. God, that no matter what happens in our lives, be they good times, bad times, all the between times, oh God, Father, we just come to you trusting you this morning. Lord, we just thank you for every bit of this, and we pray it all in us. Nice.